Hello and welcome to another episode of the Treasure Talk Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Green, financial educator of the Treasure Biblical Financial Workshop and youth and family minister at the Highland Church of Christ in Bakersfield, California. This is a podcast about healthy conversations about the subject of money from a biblical point of view. If you are new to this podcast, make sure that you hit that like button or subscribe to this channel on whichever social media platform you are listening or watching this from. And if you are watching this on YouTube, make sure to hit that bell icon to get notifications when we release a new episode. I am very excited about this episode because I get to sit down with one of my mentors who is a fellow gospel preacher that I respect and admire very much, who is also a financial hobbyist. And and get this, if that doesn't get your attention, hopefully this will. He has a family of eight living in California. How? You're about to find out. But also, later in this episode, I have a special announcement for preachers, church leaders, ministry leaders, and church staff that I want to share with you that can benefit your ministry for years to come. So, definitely stay tuned in. You do not want to miss this. in the West Basilia area, Cliff Sabro. Cliff, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about it. So go ahead and tell the, the audience so they can just get to know you a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, as Brandon mentioned, I'm the preacher for the West Visalia Church of Christ here in Visalia, California. I've been working with the church here for, man, since 2005. I'm married to a wonderful wife named Zinni. I have six children ranging from ages 16 all the way down to five. Um, I enjoy learning about finance and talking about it. So I think that's why Brandon brought me on. Some other things I enjoy, I train and coach and compete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which gets me out in the community as well and allows me to, when I'm, I don't get stressed out at work, I get to go to the gym and choke people and not get arrested for it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, uh, you, I mean, you've been one of my mentors for uh, forever, it seems like. I mean, I've known you most of my life uh, being my... I think I was your cabin counselor at one time, right? Yes, at Bible you camp? Were. Yes, you yes. were. Uh, yeah. And then you, you know, got promoted to co-director and now you're the director. Um, and are, you're on the board, right, for the YBC? Yeah, something like that. You know, over time, you just kind of hang around someplace long enough, they let you run it. And that's kind of what's happened with some different things. Right. And in case some some people may be watching and wondering what's YBC, Yosemite Bible Camp. That is in yeah. Yosemite, California. Well, well, just outside of Yosemite, California. Yeah, we're, we're not in Yosemite, but we like right. to claim it, you know, just like the airport in Fresno claims Yosemite. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So very good. So awesome. Well, I'm looking forward so much to getting these questions in. Uh, and so we're really getting your perspective um, because you have a big family. Uh, how many kids do you have? Apparently I do. I have six kids and I didn't realize I had a big family till people started telling us that we did. And apparently that's not the norm. We didn't plan on necessarily having a big family, but God had different plans for us. And yeah, we got a total of eight people in our house. And when the kids bring friends over, I never know how many kids are going to be over. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a madhouse. I'm sure. Um, yeah. But I mean, when you think about like, it's not necessary that you have the biggest family. Cause I mean, I'm sure, you know, of people who have even bigger, oh, yeah. like 12, you know, kids or whatnot. Um, but for California, six yeah. is huge. Like that's, that's it's a milestone, you know? Yeah. So, so my first question to you in regards to that, because I mean, you live in California. I mean, we live in the, 
the most reasonable part of California, I believe. You know, the Central Valley is like the last standing area that's reasonable for most people to live here in this state. But it's yeah. still California. It's still expensive. It's still expensive. So, what's that? I said it's still expensive, but yes. Yeah, yeah. It's so, better than most. Right. So, so what are the challenges uh, of financial management with a big family, especially living in our state? Well, I mean, you mentioned, you know, being in our state, there is the housing cost to house, um, you know, that many people. It does take a bigger place. And as my kids get older, like any other family, we want them to kind of have some of their own space, but that doesn't always happen. So there's housing costs that makes it more expensive. Food costs. Now, food isn't that expensive in California, especially in the Central Valley. We have pretty mm -hmm. good um, food um, costs with a lot of ag and everything. But right. I mean, we have more mouths to feed. So that costs more. Um, as my kids are growing up, they're involved in different activities, which those all cost money. Um, we homeschool our kids. Now they're involved in some public charters and some things like that, but sometimes there's extra costs associated with that clothing and, and everything. So there is uh, extra cost in having a big family, but um, there are some different benefits out there and things. Having a big family in California means that my health insurance isn't really that big of a deal. So it is cheaper thanks to, you know, some different policies in place there. So maybe, and obviously, you know, my family's healthy, so I don't have to deal with some of those other things that maybe some of my um, other friends and family might have to. But yeah, there is a, there's a lot of added expenses, but it just forces you to be intentional a little bit, you know, whereas maybe somebody in a smaller family doesn't have to be intentional with their spending. It's just, hey, I will go out to eat tonight. We have to think about it. Everything has to be part of a plan and be part of kind of our family plan. Because if it isn't, hey, if we on a whim decide to, hey, let's all go out to someplace, it would be considered reasonable. Uh, let's say you go to like Chili's or something like that. That's not a, a really expensive restaurant. And, if, and two people go out to eat at Chili's, two people, 20 bucks, not that big of a deal. You take eight people there and you let every kid pick even something off the kid's menu, we're walking out of there. Well, I don't know. I don't even do that, but like what, 60 bucks or more. I mean, yeah. it's going to add up real yeah. quick. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be more intentional with my spending, you know, having a bigger family. Well, but, I, I, but I also think, too, okay. go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it also though has helped my kids learn to be intentional themselves. Whereas maybe a kid that's a, a single, you know, my, my wife was an only child. So her perspective on things was, you know, a little bit different because, hey, if she needed to get something, she would pretty much get it. She was never spoiled, but it didn't have to be thought through. Whereas if one of my kids yesterday, one of my boys came up to me and really wanted me to give him money to buy some V-Bucks on Fortnite. Okay. <laughs> he wanted to have, add an upgrade to his game profile of some kind. And it was $8, which okay, $8 isn't that big of a deal. He helps me around the house and does different things and does make some money periodically, but he didn't have $8 lying around. But if I let Roman pay, get $8 of V-Bucks, well, what about the other five kids? They're like, where's my eight bucks? You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm spending yep. now almost you know 50 bucks on everybody having their Fortnite skins improved. So there have, my kids have to learn you know, intentionality. They have to learn frugality. Um, they have to learn to work for different things. Um, the great thing about it is with the kids knowing that they can't always get things whenever they want it, they've had to work for it. Uh, my oldest son, Owen, um, he's worked since he was like 12 mowing lawns and now he has a job. But because of that, he was able to buy his first car. He's actually bought his second car now. He flipped the first one and now sold and now bought another one. And my daughter does different things for money and the kids have to learn to work. So that's the benefits of a big family too. Wow. That I mean, you you've unpacked a lot there. I mean, the uh, I know I laid it out there. No, you know that's awesome. Um, you know the fact that it sort of forced you because of having a big family, it's forced you to really plan everything out. You know, which those of us who have smaller families, you know, are we normally, you know, we can just be like, oh yeah, we'll just drop a dime here, drop one here. But I mean, you literally have to think it out, and you and and also. The fact that your kids also have to learn, you know, uh, valuable financial principles at a young age, um, just naturally, um, because you can't just spend on every single kid exactly what they want at any given no. time. I mean, so that's that's awesome. I mean, they're learning something that most kids don't learn uh, at a young age um, and something that they're going to be able to take with them. So I think that's awesome. And they're learning 
they're learning too that you can't just do things out of convenience. Yes. Um, we always have the discussion, you know, as a family, because everybody wants to grab McDonald's on the way home from something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to say, hey, we can't do that. We'll get, we'll do an eating out thing on Sunday. Maybe we'll order some Little Caesars pizzas, which by the way, $5 or $6 um, pizzas at Little Caesars are the greatest things for a large family. Um, but, you know, say, hey, we're not going to go through the McDonald's drive through Oh, but it's not that expensive. Well, yeah, it really is. And it'll throw off our, our, you know, our food budget for the month if we do that on this just random trip. Mm-hmm. No, that's 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 awesome. So so with that being said, I mean, so it sounds like you, you make a lot of you, you and your family make a lot of great decisions when it comes to finances. But has there ever been a financial decision that if you could do it over again, that you would and, and why, and what would you do differently? Well, I've made a ton of bad financial decisions in my life and that's, what's gotten me to the point now where I look at things differently. Um, Like many people early on in my adult life, I had an idea of what I thought my life should look like. Um, I wanted to, okay, Hey, now I'm working. Now I have some money coming in. That means that now I can have the things I've always wanted, which for me, it was, I need a brand new truck, which means I need a dirt bike, which means now I have to have all the best gear, which means I have to be able to travel to all the places to show off that best gear and use it. And so I don't have one big financial mistake. I made it a couple ones that I would say number one was getting wrapped up in a lot of car payments early on in my adult life. Mm. Um, there was, um, when I first started having some stability with just consistent money coming in, um, I went down and, and financed a vehicle. Well, that one started to not run so well. So traded that one in with actually a balance on a loan for a brand new Chevy truck. Well, I didn't need the brand new truck at the time, but I justified it in my mind. Well, I have a son now and we need to have a dependable vehicle. So dependable vehicle was a brand new vehicle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, that one now we're getting here. There's an, I maybe need a, an extra door. So now let's upgrade to a crew cab. Well, I mean, Hey, I can afford the payment. That's what I kind of always told myself. Why well, I, I can make the payment. If as long as I can make the payment, I'm doing good. Hey, I can buy a brand new dirt bike on Kawasaki motor credit. And the minimum payment <laughs> is only $40 a month, which by the way, mathematically you'll never pay off a brand right. new um, dirt bike. If you do that, but right. Hey, mm-hmm. I can make this payment. And so I made a lot of decisions like that early in my adulthood, trying to have an image of something. And maybe I wouldn't even articulate it that way at the time. You try to justify it any way you can. Hey, I need a hobby. Hey, I need a safe vehicle. And if I'm going to have a dirt bike, you have to have a truck that can tow. So then, you know, those kinds of things. And then I did the same thing with um, education, you know, getting out of uh, preaching school. You know, I didn't have like student loans to go to preaching school. That was all paid for and supported for me. But well, hey, I want to be somebody, so I need to also go to a university. So I took out student loans. And, um, you know, student loans, they'll let you take out as much as the max, even if you don't need it all. So then I had extra money coming in there, so I can use that to buy more things. So I would say two big major financial decisions, mistakes that I made in my life were number one, financing cars, and number two, student loans. Mm. And that's put me into a place where I wasn't doing well financially. I, I have a vivid memory and I, I've actually told this memory to my kids when we drive by this spot. There is a, a roundabout in Visalia that I remember I was driving on to get somewhere and I was driving my brand new truck. I had a whole bunch of student loans. I had payments on things. And I remember thinking at that moment, like there was bills due. The paycheck was already spent for the next two weeks and I had no way to pay these things. And I remember having a panic feeling all of a sudden, wait a second, I'm extended now. A line of credit that I could maybe rely on to bail me out is maxed out. Mm. And I remember that was kind of finally my I aha moment, my angry moment. My, I said, this is it. We got to fix this. And that was like 12 years ago. And from that point on where I started the ball rolling to try to clean up my financial situation. And then once I cleaned it up about six years ago, really getting crazy intentional, which has completely, you know, improved my, my financial situation. So I made a lot of bad ones, but those bad ones uh, were a wake up call to get me to a point where I am now where I'm doing very well financially. And it's not because I'm making much more money than I was back then. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's great. I mean, what you pointed out is something that most people think is the norm. Like, 
it's yeah. not a bad financial decision. This is what you're supposed to do, you know, as a, as a successful and as a, you know, um, uh, yeah, as a successful individual, as an accountable, responsible, that was the word I was looking for, responsible individual will do this. They'll get a brand new car, they'll get student loans, and everything will work out the way it's supposed to. But you actually sat down and, and knew that if I don't change something about this, I'm going to be in this hole that I won't be able to dig myself out of. And I think for a lot yeah. of people, they don't realize that. And that's why people like Dave Ramsey and others are very adamant that uh, against student loans and, and making sure that people understand what they're getting themselves into. Because a lot of people don't understand the uh, the way in which student loans are run. I mean, pretty much for the most part, these a lot of these companies act a lot like loan sharks <laughs> when it comes to yeah. how they give these loans out to people and they don't really tell them what they're getting themselves into. It's just a simple, just sign the dotted line. And yeah, it looks like you're cash. just getting financial aid, right? You're getting a yeah. grant and then all of a sudden you get a leftover check in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, people need to know what they're getting themselves into and well, if they're going to do it, go ahead. I was going to say, and since you're talking about preachers, especially too, mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of return on your investment when it comes to student loans and full-time ministry. Right. I could, and that was my thing. I thought if I can get me a prestigious master's degree, then I'll be somebody. And I've always kind of had, you know, maybe because I didn't come from a place of means or, you know, kind of being the little guy, immature, whatever it was, I always felt like I needed to prove myself and thought that, well, hey, if I can get this really good university degree, then I'll be somebody. But in ministry, that don't really always matter. I mean, maybe if you're teaching in a university setting, there's right. some prestige to your different degrees and things like that. But my congregation here that I'm working with, they didn't care when I had a bachelor's. They didn't care when I got a master's. You know what I mean? It yep. didn't impress them more. It wasn't like, all right, I came to the church leadership meeting. They're like, all right, you now have an accredited degree. We're going to up your salary this much. It, it doesn't work like that in ministry. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you get a law degree, it might make a little bit more financial sense. I'm not encouraging you to go into a bunch of debt for a law degree either, but right. that makes a little bit more sense. But, you know, in ministry, it doesn't. Yeah. And I've known preachers, preachers that are barely making it paycheck to paycheck. They got over $100,000 in student loans. They will yeah. never pay that off. Yeah. 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 And the other thing about that, that people don't really consider is that most of our brotherhood schools or Christian schools out there are privately owned. So they're yep. more expensive than the average, you know, state school, you know, that may not offer theology. Um, you know, so you're, you're going to pay a lot more in student loans with these private schools than you probably would a state school. Right. So um, people don't. So let me get, that. let me get controversial. Brandon, would you say it's unchristian like for a college admissions officer to just let an 18 year old right out of high school from Podunkville, Alabama, who doesn't know any better, who's going to a private university to take out a whole bunch of student loans, not really knowing what they're getting themselves into. I think it's wrong. Okay. I, I, there's no controversy about it. I think it's yeah. wrong. Um, you know, there there should be you're you're basically giving a lottery winner, right? It's the lottery winner mentality to a child who's never managed. I mean, we're talking about if they're lucky if they've gotten a part-time job at McDonald's, right? That little mm -hmm. money that they have. And now you're about to give them this entire huge amount of money that they have no concept of financial literacy, no concept of how to manage. Uh, and then for the for whatever future they're about to have for a job that they're probably going to make maybe $60,000 and now they got a loan worth 150,000 like that doesn't make yeah. sense there's no trade off there you know so yeah it, it actually makes no sense and so anyway i need to get back to interviewing you anyway okay <laughs> um but so uh you 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 sort of talked like how you got into it, but I want you sort of to elaborate a little bit. So what, what else could you say to what drove you to being a financial hobbyist? I mean, it's one thing to, you know, realize like, Hey, I got to make some changes, you know, and then seeking those resources. But I mean, it seems like you've given a lot of time and investment into learning finances. So what drove you to be a financial hobbyist? Well, 
I, I remember the first time it sparked my interest was actually in high school. Now, I didn't listen to it back then, but I remember being in an economics class, which I wasn't a great student in my senior year in high school, you know, but I remember we had economics and we were talking about all these random things in economics. And one day we had a substitute teacher and the substitute teacher happened to be covering the chapter on compound interest. Hmm. And all of a sudden they started mentioning compound interest. And that made sense to me. Never liked math, but all of a sudden we're talking about, wait a second. If you invest money at this kind of a rate of return in this many years, you'll have this much money. All of a sudden, it made kind of sense to me. Now, that kind of stayed in the back of my head for several years. Once I got into that financial mess that I was in, I started looking at ways to better myself. So as I'm paying down the debt, I came across, obviously, um, most popular one would be Dave Ramsey's program. Um, I, I started listening to the Dave Ramsey podcast every day. I still listen to Dave Ramsey often. Um, now I've listened to him enough over the years that I kind of predict what he's going to say every time he says it. But um, that that got me started, and I and I read his book and I would listen daily to his podcast about okay what you need to do and how you get out of the situation. So put my family on a budget, and if your listeners don't know what I mean by that, it just means that I'm planning out what I'm going to do with my money. Budgeting sounds bad, but to us it was freeing. All of a sudden, we had permission to spend money. We had permission to spend this much money on food at the grocery store. We had permission to spend this much money at McDonald's. We had permission to do this with our money and you know make these different strides. Um, from there, I started getting really excited about the possibility. Hey, you know, once I pay off debt, I'm going to have all this money that I can make work for me. And so then I started looking at you know investing. And the whole idea was I can maybe get to a point if I invest a lot that I can quote unquote retire early or that I can maybe fund my own ministry. Right. And my goals have kind of shifted now from being in a financial mess to getting cleaning up that mess to now. My goal is to well before the normal retirement age to not have to take a salary from a church because I have saved and invested enough that I can live off of that. Right. And to me, that's that's a great goal for ministry because so often finances limit what you can do and what you can accomplish. But hey, I want to if, if I want to go spend time in mission work, I don't have to be supported. If I want to go help out a small church in a rural area that's been struggling for years to reach their community, but they just can't keep the lights on because they're paying a preacher to say, hey, I'll do it for a few years for free, you know. So my, my mentality kind of shifted in that. And so you asked about becoming a financial hobbyist. I, I consume material like crazy. Um, weekly, I'm listening to podcasts on finance. I love the Choose FI podcast. It's Choose Financial Independence. Mm -hmm. I listen to that all the time. Um, I still do listen to Dave Ramsey some. Um, I'll, I'll check in with other ones like Bigger Pockets, Stacking Benjamins, The Mad Scientist, Mr. Money Mustache. Uh, I, I love all that kind of stuff. I love reading books about it and, and, and following things on it. And um, I want to know how, how the market works. And I'm not one of these creative, risky kind of you know investors or anything like that, but mm -hmm. I wanted to know what I was doing. And I wanted to do it on my own too. I didn't want to have to you know pay somebody or maybe have someone sell me something that I didn't know about. So yeah. I don't know. I took it upon myself and, and it's worked out really well. No, that's awesome. Uh, you know, that you you're willing to invest time and effort into your your investment. I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. So, you know, I mean, to me, um, being a financial coach, you're like a dream. Like <laughs> like most people don't. Um, you know, I'd rather be talking to someone who knows what they're doing. Like if I ever became a financial advisor, I'd rather sit down with someone that knows what they're doing. So as just as invested as I am in a pro in their investment, you know, um, so that way, you know, we're making the best decision possible for them. But a lot of people don't even know where to start. A lot of people don't even know where to begin. So as a financial educator now, now my job is to give them and show them all the tools that are available to them, not to uh, tell them what decision to make. I mean, that's a financial advisor. You know, if you want somebody to hold your hand and tell you exactly what to do, then yeah, go ahead. But my job as a financial coach is just to teach people the tools that are available to them and then make them make the decision 
for their life, for whatever their goal is. Um, but somebody like you, I mean, if I were, again, if I was a financial advisor, the fact that you already know what your, what your goal is, you know, you have an idea of what these financial instruments are, then I think it's going to be a lot easier conversation uh, to have than somebody who has no concept, no idea. And then when things go awry, you get the blame, right? As the financial yeah. advisor. Um, so, but I, I love that, um, that you've invested a lot of time into, yeah. you know, your future. Go ahead. And I, I like, I like doing it. I mean, to me, it's kind of a game. I, I enjoy planning out my optimized tax strategy for different things. You know, as a preacher, our taxes are a little bit different and stuff like that. Yeah. Man, I got that dialed into a T when it comes to tracking expenses. I, I got that down, you know, um, as I have a couple little side gigs, you know, I coach jujitsu and there's some little bit of money coming in there and I have to plan all my expenses and things and taxes and self-employment with that. I welcome an audit. I got that so dialed in. I, I challenged the IRS to find a hold of what I'm doing. To me, it's like a fun <laughs> game, right? Bring it, right. you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, I don't know, learn what you're doing. Money's really important in life. I know we don't serve and worship money, but mm. it's a pretty big, significant part of our life and our existence and what we do. And ultimately, if you have money, you can give money. And so, I mean, use it wisely. God has stewarded us with the opportunity to have financial means. Yeah. Don't be flippant with it. Right. Yeah. Right. He's in um, as... Um, one of his parables um, in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 18, uh, where he talks about the, the five, uh, the five talent man, the three talent, uh, two talent man and the one talent. I mean, you look at that word that is used early on in that passage. Um, he entrusted them with those talents. Yeah. And it's the same language that's used describing how God has entrusted us with all of these things that we have, these all belong to him. So there's some responsibility there, as you pointed out, that we can't be fluid with those things that he's given us and money included. And I think sometimes we, we do that. Um, and, and maybe it's, you know, we, we grew up in a, in a, in a bad atmosphere. Maybe um, we had the, the wrong uh, view of money all along. I mean, and, and, and maybe, and, th and that's honestly why I do the treasure workshop, because I think a lot of us have just these negative ideas when it comes to money. Um, when it's not the money is the root of all evil, it's the love of money, right? God gave yeah. us money for a reason, a purpose, and that's to honor and glorify him. Well, how am I honoring and glorifying him if I'm, you know, just being willy nilly about, you know, my money, if I'm just you know, throwing it away. How am I really honoring, glorifying him doing that? You know, so that's the important and discussion. Managing it, and, and managing it too allows you to do great things with it. Like, Amen. because Amen. my financial house is in order, when a, a need arises or we learn about a good work, we can say, I can hit up Zin and go, hey, I just heard about this organization in Visalia that's counseling women going through, you know, trouble and pregnancies. They need financial help we have money set aside and say, hey, let's write a check for 400 bucks and give it to them, awesome. you know, yeah. and things like that. So yeah. it allows you to do good um, mm -hmm. to different people, as opposed to, I know when I was in times of financial turmoil, yeah. my generosity took a back seat. Yeah. 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 And for most people, that's the first thing to go. Usually, um, you know, people who are going to get, you know, have to have three, you know, two to three jobs. You know, the first thing that usually goes is Sunday, right? Church worship. Yeah. Um, Bible study. Those are usually the first things to go. Um, giving is obviously a natural thing when you miss church. I mean, it's going to be a natural thing for you to stop doing. Um, you know, those are usually the first things that will leave um, in order to get your finances in order. Um, so you're absolutely right. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. I really am. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and we're going to show you, um, those of you who are watching, listening, tell you about a special course designed for preachers that may interest you uh, in talking about financial literacy. We'll, we'll stay tuned. I love being a preacher. However, Besides the obvious struggles that we face as ministers, we also face a lot of financial struggles. I'll be honest, I was not prepared for the financial struggles that I was going to face in ministry. 
I recently surveyed preachers and people in ministry from all over the church and found that most of us who even graduated from preaching schools and universities had little to no financial training. So knowing this fact and knowing that many of us in ministry struggle financially, I developed a program designed specifically for people in ministry to learn key financial principles to help them while in ministry. So every Thursday starting September 2nd through October 7th, 2021, I will be teaching a six week live online course entitled Security for the Sower. Registration opens June 1st and ends August 29th. There is limited space available for this course, so make sure to register early. Be on the lookout for more information on security for the sower throughout the month of May on the Treasure Talk podcast, as well as a Treasure Biblical Financial Workshop page on Facebook. And we are looking forward to seeing you in September. And we are back. I'm sitting here with financial hobbyist slash minister slash jujitsu fighter. Uh, and hopefully if something happens where we need to defend ourselves, we'll, you know, sanction uh, Cliff, the coach, uh, the magician uh, into helping us uh, defend ourselves. So, um, we sort of talked about your family. We talked about your life as far as finances and why you became a financial hobbyist. But now what I want to get into is the mentor, Cliff Sabro. So we talked about the family guy. I want to talk about the mentor, Cliff Sabro. So you have been a part of a great work for many years with the West Brasilia Church of Christ. Um, you guys bring in a two-year intern um, and mentor them uh, in ways of preaching, uh, guys who have graduated from some of our uh, different brotherhood schools and universities. Um, most of the guys that you've had, I some of them I grew up with. Um, some of them I've known for a long time because of camp. Um, so some great guys that have come out of your guys' program. Um, so first of all, let me ask you this question. Uh, as, as as it relates to you know some of the mentorship that you've been doing with uh, different preachers, um, do you believe that preachers should take their finances seriously and, and really why? I know you've sort of already talked about that a little bit, um, but but just elaborate on that. So why do you believe that it is something serious for preachers to take? Oh well, absolutely, they need to. Number one, our jobs are not always the most stable. Um, you know, not, uh, I mean, the reality is most preachers don't stay in a place for some, for a long length of time, they move around in different places. And so because of that, having financial security and stability is a huge, um, plus. So you got to take your finances seriously. Uh, if you're living, and I think they say the average American is two paychecks away from bankruptcy or something crazy like that. But like, if you as a preacher are barely making it week to week, and now I'm not saying that, well, well, they're like, well, I'm not getting paid enough. Even if you don't get paid that much, there is some planning and intentionality you can take with your finances. Right. And if you're saving and investing and have a good emergency fund and all of that, you have more security. Because I got my financial situation in order years ago, if I were to all of a sudden this church not exist anymore and no one's paying my salary, my family would be all right for several months, if not a year, you know, to just have the same lifestyle till we figure it out something else. So number one, our jobs aren't the most stable and we need security and stability. And number two, there's empowerment in having your financial house in order mm -hmm. because I'm working toward a point where I don't need a, a paycheck one day. Now I'm not anywhere near that just yet, but the more financial security you have, the more empowered you are in ministry to not be at the beck and call of whoever is writing your checks, right. which I know that happens, maybe even subconsciously. And now, of course, any good preacher is not going to um, compromise truth to, to keep being paid and all of that. But sometimes there's certain battles that you'll choose not to fight because you want to make sure your family's still being fed. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that you don't have to have this upheaval in your life. And what if 
the money dries up because you offended some kind of big donor in your particular church or something like that. Whereas if you're at a point where you're not barely making it and every penny doesn't count so much anymore, you are more empowered to do what you need to do. You know, um, I've heard even people in the secular world say the same thing that when they don't need that paycheck anymore, their work takes on a whole nother energy because now they're not working for the paycheck. They're working because they believe in what they're doing, right. which takes on a whole nother energy to it. Um, number three for preachers, I'd say you also got to be watchful of your example. You are being watched. If you are in a church leadership position, we're all being watched, but especially those in ministry. If you can't keep your house in order financially, people aren't going to trust you. Now I know we see a qualification in scripture, you know, for elders that manage their own children and how are they going to watch the church of God and all of that. But I think a, a broader principle is those of us in religious positions of leadership and influence are being watched and people will notice if you are bad with your money. Hmm. And that is a character flaw. A lack of discipline is a flaw in our character and an undisciplined life in one area will lead to an undisciplined life in others. I guarantee it that if you're undisciplined financially, there's probably other areas where you don't have self-control. Mm. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's, you know, dedication to the works, Bible study, prayer. That lack of discipline is a big deal. Um, and if you do find yourself in a financial situation where now you have to ask for help, I mean, it totally changes everything. If I had to go to a church leadership meeting and go, hey, everybody, I haven't been taking care of myself well financially. I know I've been provided with enough support to pay my bills in any normal circumstance, but because of my own irresponsibility, I now need more. I just lost all of my reputation there. It, it hurts me. Even Paul, remember, he knew that people would use it against him. And in 2 Corinthians, he chose not to take money because he knew that people would use it against him. There's probably someone in everybody's church that would use it against you if you needed extra financial help. Yep. So don't give them that opportunity. Oh, That's my I thought know. for why preachers need to take it seriously. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, you already outlined some of the financial challenges that preachers face, but what other, what are some other financial challenges that preachers face because of possibly because of how we're paid um, because we may be, you know, one step away from losing, you know, our job because we may preach on truth or some, somebody may just simply not even like us. And they're just the loud person in the congregation. So sort of tell us a little bit more about some of the financial okay. challenges. Well, there's several, first off, how we are paid right off the bat makes a difference. Now, what I mean by that is truthfully, a church that's doing it right should be paying the preacher on a W-2. However, according to the IRS, the way we're paid, that's how it should be because you are technically an employee. Yeah, I know we work for Jesus, but as far as the IRS is concerned, predominantly we work for an, a nonprofit organization. Right. And since you are a full-time employee of that nonprofit organization, they need to be paying you on W-2. If someone's listening to this and you're not, go talk to somebody in tax preparation to help your congregation make that happen because you're getting... Uh, it's not helping you out financially at all. Because if you're getting paid like on a 1099, you're paying your entire self-employment tax and it is hurting you a lot. However, if you're on a W-2, you can fix that situation. Um, I would talk to, so get that going. With that then, there's a couple things for preachers to consider. Number one, there is a loophole, you might say, in the IRS tax code that allows you to opt out of Social Security self-employment tax. I'm not going to tell you whether you should or shouldn't do that or if your own personal morals line up with what that tax form says, but look into that. Uh, once you do it, you can't opt back in. You're done. <laughs> Too bad, so sad. I did make the choice way back when to opt out. It has helped me out well because I manage my money well, but I know a lot of people that opt out of that and then they do nothing. And then they're really, really bad off when they're old. Um, so that's something else you got to consider. With that too, with preachers, we have some benefits in the tax code if you use them properly. Now, there are some people, some of your big mega church kind of people that are making it really bad for the rest of us that might ruin this for us. Yeah. But we do have the opportunity to have our, what we call parsonage allowance deducted out of our check tax-free. 
uh, or the lower taxable income. That goes back to way back when, when churches owned parsonages, houses on the church property, and that was part of the salary. And should you get taxed on that if it's a gift from the church and all that kind of stuff? Nevertheless, if you ahead of time in your um, contract or whatever, say, here's how much I'm going to pay per month for house. And you can have your complete housing expenses, not just your rent or house payment, but furnishings and utilities and upgrades that lowers your taxable income right a, a lot. So let's say you're in the state of California and you make six grand a month and your house payment is 2000 a month and your utilities and expenses are 500. All of a sudden your taxable income is now what? $3,500 a month. Mm -hmm. Wow. So now you're only getting taxed on $3,500 a month, which means you're not paying probably anything in. And when tax time comes around, because of some of the different benefits there, and if you have children and all of that, you're probably going to be getting a check back, you know, which that makes, that is beneficial, but it takes intentionality and planning. So many people go, I don't want to mess with that. And they mess themselves up. So that's one of the big challenges there is you have to learn how the system works and how preacher taxes work. Study it. My mom uh, was a tax preparer for many years, and I always made it my goal to show her that I knew more about preacher taxes than she did. So we'd always, you know, have fun with that. Yeah. And um, she's kind of retired out of that now, and I do my own taxes. But read up on it, and there's a lot of materials out there on it, and you just got to be intentional and plan with it. Um, other financial it? challenges. Well, can I say this? I, I'm, as for those of you who are listening, and and is there people or preachers who are actually paid a 1099? It's true. I was. I both congregations that I served before uh, before the one I'm at now. Thank God I have a W two now. But I was paid a 1099, and that, what Cliff is saying that's exactly what happened every time. It hurt my family versus helped my family in ministry. So I'm, I'm a testament to what you uh, just said. So thank you, but continue. And um, with that too, um, you know, do your, um, talk to people, let them know. Sometimes the person in your church that's in charge of the finances just doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And you might have to find somebody to talk to them, uh, introduce them to a, a tax repair that says, Hey, I can fix this for you. And we can get you on this W2 system because you know, let's, let's be honest, uh, a lot of times in a church, maybe the one who's writing the checks is just a volunteer that doesn't know. So, hey, they're making sure that every week the preacher gets his check, but they're not doing any of the other stuff. Right. Um, I'm blessed here that we actually pay a outside like payroll accountant to handle all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I get a I get my paycheck. There is a pay stub with it, which is very beneficial if you're you know, buying a house or things like that to have records of it. Yep. Um my own particular situation, I was lucky that the church here um, already had it planned that, hey, you're a W-2 employee. It is our responsibility to pay um, so much percentage of your income into Social Security. Since I opted out of it, um, I have that deferred into a retirement account for me, which that is, is very helpful. But um, even if you don't have that, preachers need to, and that's what I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff on because that's my passion, is preachers need to be investing for their future. I, and that is, you know, you mentioned interns. The number one thing I talk to my interns about after we talk about budgeting and some different things is you need to save and invest for your retirement. You might ask me more about what my thoughts on that are later, but yep. those are the things that preachers need to be, need to be looking at. No, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. I'm really hoping that uh, some preachers may be listening to this and, and actually see that it is possible uh, to have your house in order as a preacher. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard enough horror stories, just like I have, of uh, preachers who didn't have things together. And now they're in their, you know, 60s in retirement age, and they have to be in a pulpit in order to survive. And most congregations aren't looking for somebody their age. They're looking for somebody in their 30s, 40s, you know, they're in their prime in preaching, or at least in our, in most people's mind, they're prime in preaching, right? So, um, but yeah, these are, these are some really good points. So you, you mentioned some of the financial challenges, um, and then you mentioned the fact that you uh, have mentored um, those interns that have come in, that finances is one of those areas that you mentor in. So what are some other uh, major financial lessons that you've taught uh, your interns coming in? Well, um, 
like the last intern I had, Nick Westberg, he'll let me pick on him because I told him all the time, you need to first off go through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University course, just because it gives you a good overview of stuff. And I, we had it. So I was like, dude, you need to take this. And um, if you don't want to do that, I encouraged a, a friend at the gym a couple of weeks ago. Hey, if you're not one to read or do that, you can listen to his stuff on YouTube and, and podcasts and all that. Um, you can also grow past it later and things like that. But that gives you a good basis for some different things. With that, with my interns, I want to talk to them and get them on a budget, as we've talked about, so that they can have a plan because we're not paying them that much. And, um, but usually they don't have a lot of uh, expenses too. And it's a chance to get some things in order. So with that, I try to help them get on a budget and I'll sit down with them and say, okay, I know how much you're making. So let's talk about how to make it work for you. You know what I mean? And help them write out a budget, planning their taxes, helping them come up with their contract, how they're going to put their money, how much for parsonage allowance and all of that. I work through with them with that specifically tax planning, um, you know, how you're going to file your taxes when and what you should do and what forms you should check and all of those different things. We talk through all of those um, with their lifestyle and things. I, I help them if they have debt to prioritize paying off that debt, you know, now um, if they're married to get you a, a cheap term life insurance policy. I mean, I got one point five million dollars, which that sounds insane on myself. And like and I'm almost 40 years old, so I'm not super young anymore. And it's like 80 bucks a month. And my wife reminds me all the time that if I were to die, she's going to be doing really well. And my kids remind me of that, too. So it's just kind of. <laughs> but, you know, what I mean, so that's simple stuff. So you take an intern, let's say a young married guy who maybe doesn't have kids yet. OK, say, hey, Let's pay off your debt. Let's make sure your wife is taken care of if you die. And now let's talk about investing for your future. Um, you know, time in the market is better than how much money you're putting in. Right. If you can start earlier, I wish I would have started earlier. Now, I was blessed that in Visalia, I at least had like a couple thousand every year because of the way they did my retirement plan that I could put into something. But it wasn't until, you know, five years ago, I really didn't get really aggressive with it. But what I try to get these young guys to see is the big picture. I bother people incessantly with compound interest calculators. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, and yeah. show them, hey, look what you could do. Yeah. If you, let's say maybe they have a car payment. I'll say, hey, if you were to pay off that car payment, pay off that car and never have a car payment again, maybe you always drove junkers, whatever it was, you know, and you took that car payment. What's the average car payment in America is like $450 or $500 over seven years. It's huge. Right. If you were to invest $500 a month in the stock market as a whole, like the a total stock market index fund, averages 9% since the life of the market. $500 a month um, for at 9% in 32 years, you have a million dollars. So if I take a preacher who's 20, 20 years old and say, hey, buddy, look, if you were to just put $500 a month away into an index fund and never touched it, when you are 52 years old, you'll have a, you'll be a millionaire. How does that sound? You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's great. the way people need to think. And that's the way I think about things. And, and wouldn't that be empowering? And because every, every young preacher, every old preacher has ministry goals and they're like, man, I'd love to do a church plant. I'd love to do this, but money's always the issue. Well, what if I showed you that if you work and plan for a couple of decades here, money wouldn't have to be an issue. Right. So that's some of the things, you know, we work through and plan. And we talk about things like health insurance. You know, um, I know the system in California, you know, because that's where I'm at. And I try to learn and we look at income tables and different things and and making sure everything's lined up where you're best benefiting from the tools that are out there um, as well. That's Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just walking through just the basics um, and then getting them to really think about the future. I mean, I think that's managing your money well. If you think about, you know, how am I going to serve God? Well, it's going to take money. It's going to take money. Yeah. So why not think about and plan based on that future, right? Um, so you've already alluded to a lot of this so i'm gonna let you just just go what are your thoughts on preachers and retirement obviously you're a proponent that preachers need it 
So what are some of your other thoughts when it comes to that understanding? Because for the most part, I've, I've ran into or talked to a lot of preachers and it's almost like, well, I'm going to preach until I die anyway. So why, you know, get into an investment vehicle? Well, uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I think when you change your terminology, mm. when you hear the word retirement, you think of, oh, I stopped preaching and working and doing things. Mm. And I sit in a recliner watching Matlock and drinking my coffee or something like that. Is Matlock right. still a show? I don't know what but I retired don't people do. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, anyway, I, I like to change our terminology in this. I'm not working toward retirement. I'm working toward independence financially. Mm. And um, with that, I don't plan on ever not working with a church in some way. I, I, I preaching's my passion. Mm. I, I love this. I mean, Maybe when I'm really old, people won't love me preaching anymore. And maybe I have to stop. <laughs> maybe my role would take on a different sense. But I don't ever want to stop sharing the gospel. I mean, what is the rules for having joy in life? It's you need to have a career that has autonomy, mastery, and a sense of purpose. That's preaching. I kind of get, I have autonomy. I do things on my way. I have mastery. I think I know what I'm doing. And a sense of purpose. I'm working for Jesus. So I don't ever want to stop doing that. So preachers, if someone says plan for retirement, don't hear retirement in your mind. Don't think traditional retirement. Think I want to be able to pay my bills and still be able to preach, you know, that kind of thing. So with that, then I, I don't have a date, but I do have a plan in my mind that well before a retired traditional retirement age that I will not, you know, have to take a salary mathematically. If the market and everything keeps going as it has over the last hundred years, I should be able to do that. Not think about those things. So it is so easy to do it. You could go online and open up a Roth IRA, which that's the one you want to open up, by the way, is do that. You can go on Vanguard's website or Schwab's or Fidelity and for free, open it up. You didn't have to know what you're doing. Um, You can open things up. I, I opened up a Roth IRA for two of my kids the other day. Okay, because as long as you're you want to because I'm a nerd like this, as long as they have a salary, they can contribute as much as um, they get made. And my daughter, I can hire her, you know, to work part time to clean the church building and up make up up to four hundred dollars a year and not have to have taxes filed. But anyway, I opened up a Roth Roth for them. Okay, Schwab has a one dollar minimum investment total stock market index fund. One dollar. Okay, so for one dollar, my kids have a a retirement account and they can watch it grow. Super easy. I guaranteed every preacher listening to this has one dollar. (laughs) Okay, don't do that. And hopefully you'll start putting in more than one dollar. Maybe you'll have a few hundred dollars a month, maybe a few thousand dollars a month down the line. Once you start putting your getting a budget and planning your spending, you'll realize how much money you actually have. It's when you're not intentional with your money that it's hard. Early on and kind of backtrack a little bit, when we were trying to clean up our financial mess, me and Zinni in our house, we did the whole cash envelope thing where we, Mm -hmm. here's how much I got paid. And we had envelopes with cash for each thing we were going to spend. Now that's kind of ingrained in our mind. We have the habit of how much we're, so I don't do it as religiously in that regard, Mm -hmm. but that freed up money that even with our small amount of salary and the amount of kids we had, we still had this chunk left over that we could have, you know, invested I mean, it's crazy how that works. And if you just were to put money in and save, I mean, a thousand dollars a month in 25 years is a million dollars. I mean, it's, it's crazy how that works. So preachers just need to do it. And if your listeners are tuning in and I don't know the wide range of knowledge of things, a Roth IRA is you put money in and it grows tax-free. And when you take the money out later, when you're 59 and a half or older, you don't pay taxes on it. So if you've invested $300,000 over like 30 years, you have like a million dollars of tax-free income you've made off of that. Um, And you have a $6,000 limit on that per person, but you can also open up one for your spouse. Well, there's $12,000 that you can invest yearly tax-free. You want to go beyond that? Then you can have, you know, like a brokerage account and some taxable accounts and some things. Like I said, I'm a nerd and I try to figure out all sorts of other things. Um, my wife part-time cleans the church building and I created her a solo independent 401k and made her a, um, she has, uh, 
she's registered wow. with the EIN number with the IRS. So I'm able, she's able to contribute as an employer and an employee, which you can legally, which is really kind of cool. But anyway, there's all sorts of ways to do it, but just simply opening up an IRA and putting money in will change your future, but you have to do it now. You can't wait right. to do it. Right. right. Amen. Yeah. We got to do it now. Uh, time is against you. Time is always yeah. against you. It's not so much money. Like you said, it's your time, how, how old you get. Um, so absolutely. So that's awesome. But get into the habit of just going online and typing in savings calculator. I got one up right now because I knew I was going to talk to you. I think it's at bankrate.com has one. Mm-hmm. And my kids hate it because every time I say, can, can we buy this? I go, you know, if you were to take that Xbox money and invest it at 7% in seven years, you know, you'd have enough to buy three Xboxes. You know, they're like, yeah, but I want an Xbox. Now. But if you start thinking that way, you realize that it's just a game of, it's just math. That's all it is. It's math and intentionality. If you intentionally save, your wealth will grow. The problem is, is that we live for the moment. We don't think the big picture. We don't think about the future and we miss out and we set ourselves up for problems later. But when you save and plan and Proverbs talks a lot about storehouses of grain and all of that, when you do that, you have so many more opportunities and it all of a sudden that when you have a plan and a budget and the financial problems kind of go away, yeah. you know, those moments where you have those crises and emergencies. I think it's Dave Ramsey. It says, it seems like once you have an emergency fund, you no longer have emergencies. Yeah. And it seems to work out that way. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Last question before we go. What are some books? Since you seem like you read a lot of books on this subject, what are some books that you would recommend to not just preachers, but anybody in the pew? Okay. Like well, I already book. mentioned Dave Ramsey's stuff. So look yeah. at his book, Total Money Makeover and all that. It's kind of the, the advice for the masses that kind of reaches everybody really well. Um, and really most financial plans or workshops and all that kind of mirror those. And it's funny, his, his baby steps that he came up with. I read a book a, a couple of weeks ago called The Richest Man in Babylon. And it's a parable about a man in Babylon and how he's handling money. And it was written way before Dave Ramsey. And I was like, wait a second. All this guy's <laughs> doing is baby steps. So maybe Dave stole it from him. But, <laughs> but truth is truth, okay? So universally, the idea of saving for emergencies, paying off debt, and investing in your future is universal, okay? Right, right, so yeah, Total Money rake Makeover by Dave Ramsey is good. And you can get it cheap online. Um, Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Mm. Um, I truthfully haven't read his entire book, but I've read every blog that I found of him and listened to him talk all the time. And from what I understand, his blog posts and his podcast uh, interviews are all just regurgitation of his book, Simple Mm. Path of Wealth, J.L. Collins. So check that out. Um, I also recommend the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. That's not a financial book, but if you can create habits and discipline in your life, you will set yourself up for financial success. Um, And then also, like I said, podcasts too. I'm always listening to podcasts and things, which by the way, if you didn't know, you can listen to podcasts on one and a half and even two times speed. And you can train yourself to do that. And you can consume a whole bunch of beneficial, you know, information that way. So check out the Choose FI. It's Choose Financial Independence. If you've never heard of it, the FIRE movement is financial independence retired early. That's kind of the idea of that. They have a pretty good podcast. I don't always agree with everything they do, but uh, you can get insight into a lot of ideas there. The Mad Scientist, not scientist, but like finance scientist. Um, he's one um, that you can listen to as well. That you get a lot of information about finance. As for religious podcasts about finance, I don't know of any. I guess Brandon Green's the one that's starting it. Um, but I do know Dave Ramsey, of course, has some spiritual overtones to his things too. Yeah, there's the only one that I am familiar with is from the Light Network. They put on one. I think it's called Bountiful, I think it is. Um, But um, yeah, that's the only other financial podcast as far as uh, spiritual tone to it that I know of. So yeah, we're we're trying to, you know, do this thing. So but anyways, Cliff, I, I am so thankful that you decided to come on here. I appreciate all your points that you made in answering all these questions. Thank you so much. And 
please, if you haven't watched the other uh, podcast, make sure you do so and watch this one over and over and over again. Make sure you check out those books that you talked about. Some great stuff, great knowledge. I'm probably going to end up having you back on the show since you love to talk about this uh, and even get more into even how the Bible uh, definitely uh, talks a lot about finances and sometimes we think it doesn't, but it really does. So, yeah. And, and if anybody wants to hit me up too, uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, that kind of thing. Um, email me preacher cliff at gmail.com. Hit me up at the church here. Um, over the years, because I'm in the position that I am in, I've been able to help a lot of those in ministry that have kind of gotten in some messes when it comes to even just how to plan your, your contract and, mm-hmm. and taxes and things like that. And um, I'll help people out. I'm not an expert. You know, I'm not promising you that, hey, you do this, you're all going to be, everything's going to be better, but I can maybe direct you in some ways. And I'll obviously be glad to help anybody out. Um, Talking about the Bible, talking about finance and talking about jujitsu are kind of my favorite things to talk about. So if you give me a chance to do it, you know, I'll do it. So hit me up if anybody needs anything. Absolutely. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're one of my mentors. I appreciate you so much. And all the work that you continue to do and you know we continue to pray for you and the work in visalia and the future work that you'll be doing as you're uh, getting closer to that retirement spot or excuse me not retirement what did you say financial independent financial independence yeah. that's right well awesome thank you so it'll much it'll be a while still, but we're working toward it right absolutely well thank you so much cliff uh keep tuning in thank you thank you Hey, thank you so much for watching our videos and podcasts. If you want more videos and more podcasts, you can like us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube. We'll see you next time.